podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show on ESPN in association with Betfred. Nikki Bandini dropping by very shortly to get us up to speed on yet another whirlwind Sunday in the NFL. The Bucks chiefs game lived up to the hype. Maybe we shouldn't be counting out those Tampa Bay Buccaneers quite yet. I'll explain why in just a bit. We'll talk about that extraordinary situation in Denver as well. Starting a wide receiver from the practice squad at quarterback against the New Orleans Saints. How on earth was that allowed to happen? That and plenty more stories from week 12 coming up very, very shortly. Uh, just enough time for me to plug what's coming out later on this week on the show. Don't forget our brand new Edge Rush show. Me and producer Ollie dropping our hot takes on the weekend's action every Saturday morning. That drops into your podcatcher of choice. Before that, we'll have the week 13 preview. Will Gavin in the house for that one. Looking forward to catching up with him. That one dropping Friday this week. So make sure you've uh, subscribed to us wherever you listen and you won't miss a trick, won't miss an episode all season long. Let's get straight down to business and check in with the brilliant Nikki Bandini. Nikki, good to see you. Uh, we, we're going to start with what we thought was going to be the game of the weekend. I think it kind of lived up to the hype to, to a degree. And it got me thinking that, and this, this number astonished me. So you and I were sitting in the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami 10 months ago, believe it or not. 10 months ago. That's a Crazy, blow my mind. Number. Different uh, lifetime. It really was. Celebrating the, the genius of Mahomes. I think actually, I think I was celebrating the genius of Andy Reid for about 15 minutes. <laughs> you said, we got to talk about Mahomes. And, you know, 10 months on, I think he's getting better, isn't he? I mean, I think, I think the more I see him, the better I think he's getting. He's outrageous. I mean, he's outrageous. Some of the, the throws, it's, I mean, I'm sure we should talk about Tyreek Hill because 203 yards in a first quarter is something, but that's possible because, yes, on those deep routes, um, the Buccaneers made some questionable decisions in coverage, but when you watch mm. the plays back, you see how Mahomes is looking players off, the way he's um, leading the safeties with his eyes to one side of the field and then comes back to Hill and finds him in, in the space to throw that ball. I think he's so natural. That's what's yeah. incredible about it. I mean, he's got... He's got a great arm. That's not a surprise to anyone. He's a great athlete. That's not a surprise to anyone. We know all these things, but I think what really stands out about him is just that ability to to lead um, defenders, to look away from his intentions, to trust where his teammates are going to be, even when he's not looking at them. And I think that's what separates him mm. as an elite level quarterback. Yeah, the, the, the faking out is getting better. And that kind of makes sense, really. It's the sort of thing that, that you know, the more acclimatized he gets to the NFL, though he was acclimatized seemingly from day one to the NFL. But it, that kind of makes sense, that finesse and that enhancement. And, and this offense, the retention of, of the Chiefs full stop as an organization has arguably been their biggest asset. Will Gavin, who's on the show, incidentally, this Friday, we were doing radio last night, and he was saying that that was uh, uh, you know, something that was overlooked, really. The fact that Chiefs have kept pretty much everything intact, in and, and that was always going to be going to be key. Mahomes' stat line, 37 completions, 49 attempts, 462 yards, three touchdowns. You mentioned Tyreek Kill. That was interesting. The, the Carlton Davis, and you're being very diplomatic, Nikki, but <laughs> the Carlton, I mean, Carlton Davis is getting uh, shellacked left, right, and center, but 
they didn't adjust, and that was interesting. The whether you can possibly adjust against Tyreek Hill or not, but this is a, a Tampa D that has been celebrated for for much of the season, and the Saints game notwithstanding is pretty much held firm for for most of the season. But they seem to be completely outthought in the first half. Yeah, and and I agree with you. The lack of adjustments is what was most surprising to me. I think. Yes, um, maybe I'm being too diplomatic, but I just think, look, how many cornerbacks in, in the league, if you leave them one-on-one with Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball, how many cornerbacks are really going to win that battle most right. of the time? Not that many. And I, the, the continuity of staff thing, which you mentioned, is huge mm. because, it's, because it's 2020 and everyone is, is in a more disrupted state than normal because the staff was already incredible. Um, it's hard to mm. always get Tyreek Hill double covered when you know that if you follow that route over the top, you're going to have Travis Kelsey coming and sitting underneath when you know you're going to have always another target that, that uh, Mahomes feel comfortable throwing the ball to. But, you know, it's funny because, you know, you're up against a Bruce Arians team and in, in many ways it was a Bruce Arians game plan. Just kick the door down right away mm. with with long passes and, it was too late by the time the Buccaneers woke up. The Buccaneers actually played really well in the second half. Right. But it felt like it was already in a, a lost game state. I know the final score looks close, but it never really felt to me like it was ever going to flip in a different direction. Mm. You see, that's interesting. Before we, we started recording, uh, Ollie, the producer, and I were having this chat, and he said exactly the same thing, Nikki, that at no point did it look like Tampa were, were ever going to catch him and, and, and certainly win the game ultimately. Which is extra surprising when it's Tom Brady, right? Like with Tom right, Brady, exactly. you always There's expect Tom person. Brady to come up with something. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and the divided opinion on Brady and, and ultimately how far this Bucks team can go because we all know that this is very much a generation of recency bias at the moment and clearly they've been in a slump and clearly their offense isn't uh, in any kind of rhythm consistently, although I'd argue that they started to find that that rhythm in the second half. The deep ball you mentioned, I mean, that was going into this game, the most talked about stat having started the season saying, look, Brady can throw the deep ball. And then, oh, no, he can't throw the deep ball. And, well, maybe he can throw it, you know. So we, we're flip-flopping backwards and forwards. But they, they fought back from a 17-zip hole. They, uh, as I say, looked a, a lot more together in, in the literal sense in, in the second half. Tony Romo was saying, I don't know if you caught this at the end, which I found interesting when he was saying, we might well be seeing these two teams back here at Raymond James in, in February. And I said, I really like what I saw from the Bucks in, in the second half. And it got me thinking, right? So they've got a bye week now. Then their run-in is Minnesota. They've got Atlanta twice and then Detroit. So all very winnable games. Uh, certainly if they pick up three out of four, they're, they're in the playoffs. And they could conceivably end up playing, and most likely end up playing the, the NFC East winner, right? So it is reasonable to assume this Bucks team are going to be a couple of games away from, from the Super Bowl before we, we know it. And, and I think this discussion about their demise is far too premature. For sure, for sure. I mean, if you want to talk about the continuity of the Chiefs, um, consider that Antonio Brown has joined in mid-season and right. perhaps you expect to get increasing returns on him. I did see someone quite uncharitably point out that 
the Buccaneers who were flying our one and three since Antonio Brown arrived. I think there's certainly right. plenty of people looking for a little him. bit of um, karma there, um, yeah. perhaps for other things that have happened. But, um, but the wider point there, I guess, is interesting, which is that there are, there are too many mouths to feed. I've heard, I've heard that argument put across that, you know, Fournette in the mix as well. That there, and, and someone made, uh, you know, the, the, the clear but nevertheless important point that it's almost a diametric opposite to the, to the final years and the final year of Brady in, in the Patriots. It, they don't quite know how to use all these weapons, I guess, is the, is the point. Yeah, I mean... I'm sorry if this is sort of banging a drum that's been banged a lot. I I do still have some reservations about whether or not Bruce Arians' offense is the Tom Brady offense. Um, right. The fact is he has thrown more balls that have traveled 20 yards through the air, more balls that have traveled 30 yards through the air than any other quarterback in the league. And his numbers on them aren't great. You know, it's not Patrick Mahomes throwing that deep ball, which he's so good at. Um, Brady, his strength... Um, at this point in his career, and he's not as young as he used to be. None of us are. I don't know why I ever say that sentence. Um, <laughs> but uh, his strength is not a deep ball, and it wasn't in New England. And I think one thing that hasn't been established in the same way in Tampa Bay is, is that easy outlet of the backfield. Mm. Bill Belichick always made sure he had those easy options out of the backfield, and he relied on them a lot. Mm. We talked about Gronkowski. We talked about Wes Welker. We talked about whoever else was his... Um, Beau du jour, I guess, whichever receiver was his favorite at that time. But in the end, there was always a reliance on um, screen plays and, and quick pass underneath. And Tom was brilliant at that. Yep. I think when we talk about um, what I was saying earlier about Patrick Mahomes having that sense of the field, being able to, to know where his receivers are without looking at them, it feels like Tom has lost some of that, Tom Brady mm. in, in Tampa Bay. And sure, some of that is new environment, different teammates. But I think part of it is not having that to build it all on. There's mm. not like the easy option to make that quick decision to. It's not that he can't throw the ball downfield. He's done it enough this season. He did it, especially in the second half here, really. Yeah. But should that be, I don't know, plan A, B, and C. And look, mm. I, I adore Bruce Arians. It's no secret on this podcast that the Cardinals are my team. Bruce Arians brought us a lot of fun and, you know, pretty close to, to, to really, um, to winning something. Mm. But I do think he's sometimes predictable as a coach. Um, yeah. and I think that the direction in which he's predictable is maybe not the ideal match with Tom Brady. And that's, that's kind of always been my reservation with Brady going to Tampa Bay, to be honest. I think it's really, really well, well defined. And uh, at, it's will roll on, of course, because when you have a quarterback as celebrated as Brady, there, there are none more so in, in that respect, going into a situation where he's going to want to call a fair amount of the shots as well. It's been interesting noting how Arians has dealt with criticism in press conferences and not been afraid to criticize Brady and call him out. But at the same time, the self-deprecation from Brady and, and from this team, I think it's a positive thing, right? And, and the other point, I guess, about Tampa Bay's chances is look at how many Super Bowl teams, there are, I guess, one or two exceptions to this rule, but how many Super Bowl teams in the last 15, 20 years where they were around week 12 of the season, right? And how many times have we looked back on America's game and it's, yeah. you know, misfiring and not quite there and they are going to have, barring something extraordinary happening, more than enough to get, as I say, within you know a couple of games of, of the Super Bowl. And going back to one of your first points, you get a back against Brady in that, in that situation. They've got plenty of time to, to, sure. to sort this out. 
And I mean, look, in this year of all years, after some of the other mayhem we saw this week and are still seeing who knows what any team's shape is going to be going into the Super Bowl. I mean, there are disaster scenarios out there, like a team getting to the Super Bowl and, and someone getting sick before the game, um, contracting right. COVID. I think this season is as unpredictable as any, and it would certainly be quite a, a chapter, wouldn't it, to add to that um, Tom Brady narrative if, uh, if he was to, to win a Super Bowl from here. You know, that said... In amongst all the unpredictability, the one thing that you can most predictably rely on is a bye week. So <laughs> winning right. a conference helps. And the Chiefs are in a lot better position to get that than Tampa Bay are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's move on to your, your beloved Arizona Cardinals and some things we can be sure of, which is that the Patriots never cease to surprise us just when they've been written off. So the heartbreaking loss, Nikki, heartbreaking loss. I... Uh, I'm kicking myself really because I looked at this game and I was very big on it all week as a Cardinals win. Uh, Ollie, our producer, was saying it's a trap game, trap game written all over it and eased into the lead and I thought, here we go. And then just threw the game away, Arizona. And Kyler Murray looked, uh, and I know that the TV crews were emphasizing and illuminating this very much, but didn't look comfortable, looked frustrated a lot of the time. Did this game come down to you to the play just before the half when the, the Patriots goal line stand realistically in 2020 hindsight, it's always easy to look back. If, if the Carter has taken that chip shot field goal and gone in with an extended lead at the half, they probably would have put this one to bed. I think you could pick a whole bunch of inflection points in this game, to be honest with you. Um, you know, the Cardinals massively outgained um, the Patriots in terms of yardage. Um, but yes, uh, not punching the ball in when you're down on the goal line. The Patriots, of course, did make a fourth down uh, goal line. Uh, it's a very clumsy way of saying it. They scored on a, f- a fourth and goal. Um, the uh, Cardinals had two, I think, fairly critical um, penalties against Isaiah Simmons. Who's look? He's a rookie. He's a rookie and um, some of these are, are mistakes that happen, but one of them is on the final drive hitting Cam Newton out of bounds, which he did do, adds yardage onto the penalty, helps um, New England kick that game-winning field goal. He had another one in the first half that led up to the Patriots um, getting that fourth down score. Um, there was just lots and lots of these infliction points in the game, I think, where the Cardinals mm. could have won it and and didn't, basically. The easiest to point out, frankly, is just... Zane Gonzalez, kick a field goal at the end of the game and probably nothing else um, happens in this game at that point. So I think the Cardinals lost it rather than, um, well, the Patriots still had to win it, but I think the Cardinals threw it away from a position of being the better team. Um, I think you can look at individual plays like that and and make all sorts of uh, conclusions from them. I think you can also ask some bigger questions like, Kyler Murray, is he still trying to, you know, I don't know if this is coaching or him, but there were times mm. when there were open passes underneath and he wasn't taking them. He was trying to force the ball further. Um, was he less confident in some of those other receivers without Larry Fitzgerald there? Um, and also, was there some effort to protect him going on? Because in the first half, he really didn't run a lot. And I yeah. think that is always a, such a major part of his threat. Now, I think the Patriots defended it well. They didn't. Um, come up field too much they sat and waited for him but still he was able to do things in the second half but he didn't in the first which suggests there was a bit of caution there as well it's interesting because the talk of his shoulder being banged up 
going into the game. And when he was throwing it out there front and center, we thought, well, okay, that's, that's, that's okay. But uh, as you say, they're very protective of him um, in that respect. So I wonder if that, given how dual threat quarterbacks have carved up the Patriots all season long, right? It did seem to be interesting. Taking yesterday's game, or not overly focusing on it, how have you felt about Kyler's season? Because to the most part, he seems to have progressed and moved on. Has he, to your mind, moved on enough year on year? I think that's a complicated question, to be honest, Nat. Um, is he um, suddenly playing at an MVP level? Like some people were sort of ready to predict for him, no. And is that a ridiculous bar to set for a second-year quarterback? Yes. Um, that's not the bar that we should be judging everyone by, is can they be the next Patrick Mahomes? Because then we would have 31 insufficient quarterbacks in the league, frankly. Um, he's, he's improved. Um, there's some things that still feel like he could do better. I already touched on one of those. I think he still sometimes gets too locked on to receivers downfield when there are options underneath. You saw it in this game, and I think there were times when an easy pass really could have kept some drives moving. Um, you look at situations like that and it's it's complicated without being in the play calling decisions, without being in the team meetings to know whether or not that's down to coaching and what he's being asked to do by Cliff Kingsbury and the staff or whether or not that's down to him getting too locked on still and not being a quarterback who in that Patrick Mahomes who we were talking about earlier is just totally aware of everything that's happening around him and can can feel things out. But again, I think there's a bar that gets set that's a bit unrealistically high. Mm. Um, and it's easy to see how, because he has such explosive talent and he does things that are ridiculous. Like two weeks ago, when we're talking about the, the Hale Murray pass to um, DeAndre Hopkins, but mm. you'd like to believe there's still, a, you'd like to believe there's still more to his ceiling. Put it that way. You'd like to believe this isn't the end of his development. So yep. could it be more, Hopefully in the future, yes. I think as well, with the, you know, mentioned Mahomes rightly, and then that's the bar that everybody is aspiring to, to reach, whether that, as he says, is ever going to be possible for anyone else. But, but Lamar, I guess, as well, with that sophomore season, and, and that's what a lot of people... How much has he regressed? How right, much is Lamar Jackson? Precisely, precisely. So I, 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 uh, I think it is really, really difficult to live up to those unrealistic expectations yeah and I think honestly like if you were looking for a quarterback certainly physically if you're looking for a quarterback who is like Kyler Murray really it's it's Russell Wilson Mm. and Russell Wilson has been pretty brilliant throughout his career but I would argue he's just got better and better and better so you don't have to go from year one to being the best player in the league to go on to have an extraordinary career you can keep getting better in increments Mm. And let's, that brings us nicely to Cam Newton because, of course, he had early success in his time in Carolina and that extraordinary season, which he's never really lived up to since. And a microcosm going into this year was two weeks into the season. He was the Patriots' savior. It was the perfect marriage. Everything was, uh, was, was tickety-boo. But COVID hit for sure. And I think that he just hasn't hit the same player since he's, he's been back from that bat with COVID. But another difficult day for him that despite the win and, and despite the occasional play uh, where dynamically he kept drives alive, you know, and, and, and played a part. But ultimately it was a, another lackluster performance for, for him and really startling, quite telling pictures at the end of the game when he was one of the, the Patriots' 
coaching team was around him and he just looked devastated and angry and not with them, not with the situation. They just won the game, right? But clearly with himself, he knows he's not playing well. So it begs the question, how much longer are the Patriots, who are still unbelievably in the playoff mix, right? Um, how much longer are they going to give Cam this season? How much longer are they going to give Cam beyond this season, do you think? I think it's his this season. I think you're too far in this season to, to make a change. His performance has certainly come down from a couple of exciting sort of moments at the start of the season. His, you know, his, his passing accuracy has been a bit all over the place for me. Um, but, he passed well know, against Houston, though. I mean, I know, I know yeah. ultimately, you know, that, that, that got overlooked a bit, but he had, you know, over 350, I think, and no picks and was, was a, a, like the Seattle game where he was really, really strong with his arm. We've seen flashes of it, bursts of it, but I guess that's the point, right? It is wildly inconsistent. Yeah, and I think that in the end, there's definitely worse starting quarterbacks in this league and mm. those starting quarterbacks probably in maybe all cases aren't making a million dollars this year, which sounds like a lot to you or me, but doesn't sound like a lot for an NFL starting quarterback. He's a very cheap option this season and the bar for him is not be as good as Tom Brady was. Uh, you know, I think yeah. that's, yeah, it's, it's just, um, I, I love Cam. Like I want him to be a success. He's one of those players who I find it really hard not to root for. That's mm. just sort of my sort of feeling about him. But I think his limitations are significant and reflect in that price tag. I think he's a very good quarterback for a million dollars. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And it, it, where they go next is going to be is going to be interesting because don't forget that before the, the Cam deal was done and everybody was surprised that the Patriots hadn't made a play for for a quarterback. All the word came out of Fox for his own. They, they buy into Stidham. They like Stidham. And he's had another year watching, developing, learning. So maybe that is... Mm. You know, that is their plan for, for a million bucks. You say in NFL terms, it's worth the roll of the dice, given they knew this season realistically wasn't going to be anything serious. Yeah, and perhaps before the end of the season, if the playoffs really are out of the question, um, you see a change. I just, I don't know. I mean, first of all, the, the playoffs aren't out yet and nope. it's tough in the AFC. It is a really tough conference, um, more so than the NFC, I would say, to get in. But um, I I don't know. It's a bit like the Tom Brady conversation, isn't it? As long as Bill Belichick's alive and has a team, and it's a possible. part of me that well, expects you know, something, right? The Raiders with that extraordinary defeat against Atlanta, which I mean, absolutely shellacked against the Falcons, which again, another one we should, should have seen coming. So they dropped to six and five. The Ravens, and we're recording this on Monday, of course, but the Ravens, if this game even goes ahead on, on Tuesday, significant injuries could conceivably be six and five as well the Patriots are five and six so I mean they are and if, if the playoffs get extended Nikki then you know they, they yeah. might find themselves expanded I should say they might find themselves in the mix um the we Dolphins have that better check Brady Super Bowl yet I hate I, I knew it I knew it was gonna happen I'm still believing I'm still believing let's talk um let's talk Sunday Night Football next and you mentioned Cam better than some quarterbacks starting quarterbacks in the league. I'm pretty sure you'd throw Mitch Trubisky in that mix. Uh, bless him, Mitch Trubisky, much maligned and back in for, for the Bears, not facilitating any kind of change at all. The woeful Bears slump continues and it was, it was vintage Aaron Rodgers, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, always going to be an especially unflattering comparison if you're a quarterback who's not on top of their game to be compared to Aaron Rodgers when he's like this. Um, the Packers offense just absolutely dismantled Chicago. It's it's bewildering to think that the Bears were five and one because they were made to look pretty mm. dreadful um, in this game. But 
yeah, Aaron Rodgers looks more and more comfortable in that Matt LaFleur offense. He, he's just absolutely on song at the moment. Perhaps another case for in the Patrick Mahomes mold we were talking about before, enough continuity, enough yep. continuity in the staff around Aaron Rodgers compared to so much else that's going on in the league and certainly compared to the opposition last night because Mitch Trubisky, is he a starting quarterback? He was at the start of the season. Now he is because Nick Foles is injured. But um, yeah, um, when Green Bay play like that, there's not going to be many teams that can hang with them and certainly not Chicago. But yeah, particularly against that defense as well. But the reason they had that five and zero record at the start of the season, five and one, was was obviously the defense, right? They're, they're, it's, mm. it's one of the most lopsided teams in in the league. And and Rogers, I mean, on the first drive, they just just tore them apart. And little detail here, or at least again, I think overlooked detail. And everybody overreacting uh, a few weeks back on the Packers, and we're talking about and hey, look, we talked about it on this show whether the decision in the draft is going to come back to haunt them and the vindication that the organization seemingly has with, with the young core receivers that, that they feel will step up. And it's a long old season and probably in this, in this case of this year, even longer than, than usual, right? Lazard gets a score last night. Valdez Scantling has been erratic and obviously dropping a fair few balls, but he's, but he's clearly got talent. Adams is playing absolutely lights out doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out if those three get in lockstep roughly at the same time then this is and the, the offensive line that is there protecting one of the best lines of the business i think it is uh, this is a formidable offense yeah absolutely um it's just i think for green bay it's, it's like anyone is staying healthy at this point you didn't even mention aaron jones in that offense as well right. because yes he's got all sorts of options to throw the ball to but it's not easy as a defense to prepare for all that knowing that you've also got a genuinely um top tier running game to deal with as well um the packers have everything in place to 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 carry this all the way through to the super bowl now we've been mm. talking about some longer shot possibilities but if you're looking at favorites in the nfc i don't know who you look at before green bay right now i don't i don't see a team that I feel more confident in. And that is a statement about Aaron Rodgers because I think even a year ago, um, there was starting to be this question with Aaron Rodgers about, yes, he's obviously a very, very good quarterback, but why hasn't it come together for him in the same way as it did, for instance, for Tom Brady, given that Tom Brady will go out and give interviews where he says, oh, Aaron Rodgers is the most naturally talented quarterback. And I think this season it just feels like it's come together. It feels like it's come together and maybe having a rookie behind you that's scaring you is, is part of that as well. Yeah, maybe that will prove to be the master stroke that, that, that the front office thought, thought it might be. I mean, you make a, a very solid argument here. I mean, the Saints, clearly it's so much depends Saints, on, yeah, Saints on are Breeze's fitness, in right? Driving what, seat, but what it's going to be like when he comes back. And they are uh, nine and two, just to go through the seedings in the in the NFC at the time of recording this, which is Monday, of course, the Hawks playing tonight and you assume they're going to get the win against Philly. Uh, but they're on seven and three at the moment. The pack, number two seed, eight and three. The Giants <laughs> still top four seed. They are, they are currently in control of the NFC East with a four <laughs> and seven record. The Rams, we'll talk about them in a minute, maddling, uh, maddening again. The, the Rams, just when you think you work them out, right? Uh, they fall uh, to seven and four now without defeating the Bucks in the playoff picture, irrespective of the defeat seven and five. 
your cards just knocking on the door. They're six and five. And then there's a drop or two, the Bears, five and six, the bikes as well. Uh, the 49ers. My who, cards are walking away from the door, unfortunately. <laughs> walking they're away, they're edging back. backwards away. <laughs> they do, uh, they, they've, come, yeah. they've come to visit, but they're sort of hoping you're not in so they can just go home and take a nap. So they're like, oh, <laughs> just have a knock and then. I tried. I tried. <laughs> exactly. Let's talk Rams. I want to, I want to get into that. Um, because that was, again, a, a game that if, we look at the, the, the same principle with the cards, they would have felt that they, they threw it away. The Rams might well look at that as well uh, in the same way, I should say, because yes, the 49ers had players back and uh, they played a very, very smart game. And Richard Sherman calling, celebrating Robert Salah afterwards as well and saying he's a head coach in waiting and really heaping praise on him. And they, they played golf well. And we've seen, seen this before. We saw Flores do this too, right? And confuse Goff and, and, get, and get in his head. But taking all that aside, it was from week on week, we thought, we know these Rams now, side now. They're a serious contender. We can mark them up, lock them in for the playoffs in a deep run. And, and they put in a performance like this. Help me understand it, Nikki. Why are they the most inconsistent team in the league right now? I'm sorry to predict upon. I feel like we're doing a lot of quarterback talk this week, but it does come back to Jared Goff. Mm. Um, the defense held up its end of the bargain, in particular um, Aaron Donald. I think it's one of those games that reminds you why you don't get defensive players actually winning the league MVP award. Cause I felt like Aaron Donald was a one man show in this game and it's still mm. not going to win you a game. And that's the difference. A quarterback gets to win you the game if he's on a, um, a tear and a, and a defensive linemen no matter how great they are can't do that for you Mm. um but i mean it's not just me saying it when you've got your own head coach sort of coming out after the game calling out jared goff i think there is this sort of fear with him he's got all the tools he's not one of those quarterbacks you look at and sort of question something about him physically or or anything like that but from this quarterback who in year one, as we talked about so much, was getting all this help at the line of scrimmage. Where's the evolution been? Where's the sort of next step been to sort of feeling confident in these games? San Francisco have a great secondary. San Francisco have a lot to recommend about them for a team that's lost games this season, especially with, on the other side of the ball, Debo Samuel coming back as well. But I just don't think Jared Goff, it's like the opposite of of one of these quarterbacks. like uh, Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady or Russell Wilson, however, you don't trust him to make decisions. Mm. I, I think it's not in the Mitch Trubisky category where you don't trust him to make decisions or to throw the ball well. Mitch Trubisky, it's like, <laughs> where's the ball going to go? But I just don't trust Jared Goff to make decisions. Um, and I think that's kind of pretty damning, actually, at this point of his career. He's had plenty of talent around him in that offense. He's had a a head coach who certainly was celebrated as something special. And I don't see it. I don't see the, the development in that decision-making that you'd want to see at this point. Is that the crux of it? The, the final point you made that that development and decision-making, because I, I'd countered to that. I accept everything. And I think it's spot on, but I'd say to the Rams that it was interesting. You, you mentioned McVeigh calling out Goff afterwards amongst his quotes. He said, it's taking care of the football. Our quarterback has to take better care of the football. Those quotes you can always, I guess, look at in two ways. Well, he's, he's, he's right. He's fair. But then you think, well, did he need to say it then? And knowing the implications <laughs> of saying that, right. And, and the underlying reasons why he, he chose to say it, if it wasn't frustration, just taking over, but McVeigh, they, 
Goff's always been this player, Nicky. Like they, they, and they paid him a, you know, a, a heavyweight contract. They, what I guess what I'm saying is, what are they expecting? I don't think he was ever going to develop into this dynamic, game-changing type of player. He's always been a very competent, fluent. I think that's the issue, isn't it? I, um, there's, there's no question in my mind that you can win a Super Bowl with a, in quotes, game manager. Yeah. We've seen teams do it. It's happened plenty of times. The problem is to be a game manager, you have to not be someone who turns the ball over a lot. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's like the one requirement. If you're going to be a great quarterback who goes and wins Super Bowls, then yes, you can get away with a few um, bad decisions. You know, even Patrick Mahomes throws some interceptions. You can get away with that if you're going to make up for it by being brilliant a lot of the time. Mm. If you're not brilliant, then your number one job is don't turn the ball over. And I don't think Patrick, um, I don't think Jared Goff is brilliant and he does turn the ball over too much. So mm. it's not a good recipe. Okay, so where are we on the Rams? They're in the, the fifth seed at the moment. They're running. They've got a mixed bag, really. They've got the Cards twice, the Hawks, but also the Patriots and the Jets, right? So, Mark, although, hey, with this Rams side, you never know. Maybe that'll be the Jets' one win of the season. Mm-hmm. But not a clear... That's enough, again, the Patriots. If there's, right? That Patriots defense is suffering for personnel so badly this season for a long list of reasons. But if there's a coach who I think... Yeah. Might be smart enough to unpick Jared Goff. Yeah, I think Bill Belichick's smart enough to unpick Jared Goff. We'll see if it happens. So there is a chance because t- two tough games against the Cards, the, the Hawks as well, right? I mean, there's a chance they could slip out of the playoff picture. I mean, a, a realistic chance. I think there's still a lot to be decided in the NFC West. I mm. think it seems um, very likely that you're going to get at least two, could still be three um, teams coming out of the NFC West into the playoffs. Um, and right now, the Rams are in a better position for that second spot than the Cardinals would be. But as you just said, they go head-to-head twice. So I think a lot in particular rests on those two games. At one point, we were all saying there are going to be four teams, four playoff teams for the NFC West. I remember, I remember having that conversation. <laughs> well, I tell you ago. what, the way San Francisco are playing, I think it's going to be too late. Um, yeah. But to, to, to sort of focus on that for a second, because we've talked about the efficiencies of the Rams. The 49ers played a good game last night, yeah. and they've played some good games lately. This, this team is not – it didn't suddenly become um, – uh, an awful team overnight. It had a rough start to the season, still got plenty of pieces on 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 defense, one of the best secondaries probably in the whole league. And um and yeah, if Debo Samuel is contributing again on offense, it's a good team. It's a competitive team that's just had um I think circumstances against it more than anything so far this season. Well even more so now, right? Because they can't go back home for a while, right? Because of the Santa Clara situation, they're gonna be on the road and uh, and house sitting maybe in Arizona, they're saying that's, a, that's an option. Somebody suggested, it, but because of the state and, and specifically the county uh, restrictions, the 49ers, I mean, talk about completely up against it. If they somehow, I mean, even if they're in contention for, for the playoffs week 15, week 16, or wherever we end up getting to this season, maybe week 18, that's just an unbelievable job from, from Shanahan and his team. Yeah, I mean, I think it's still... A- pretty long shot um, because mm. of the competitiveness and because the team's ahead of them. But um, the fact that the team, again, you go to this point in the season and you think which teams are still fighting because there are some teams out there that you look at and think this, this team is, is, has given up for the year. And in this year of all years, it almost feels reasonable. You know what? Like this year, I'm sure for the players has been an almighty slog with all the extra testing, with all the difficulties in preparation. Um, but if nothing else, the 49ers are, look a very long way from that point. They're a, t- a team that's alive and kicking on a week-to-week basis, even mm. if not 
with an easy route left to the playoffs. And getting stronger as well with the, the players coming back. Plus, uh, they've got uh, two NFC East teams to play in that, in that run as well, in Washington and, and the Cowboys. So all is, uh, all is not lost. We've got to talk about the extraordinary Saints-Broncos game. Extraordinary, and I'm sure all our listeners know the story by now, how the, the Broncos ended up with Kendall Hinton as their starting quarterback, who was on the practice squad as a wide receiver, having had a handful of games in college, not a, a great college in Wake Forest with respect, a great program there, not a auspicious career by any stretch of the imagination. And he's a wide receiver on the practice squad. He's starting uh, a game against not just any team as well, but one of the best defenses in the NFL. And it unsurprisingly, Nicky was, was horrendous, uh, but fair play to him. And I was just willing him, well, willing him to get a completion. I mean, he threw more picks than, than completions, but we're just willing something to go right for him because it took a huge amount of guts for it from him and respect to him and respect to the players that, were very, very clear to, to celebrate how gutsy he was to, to do that on, on the Saints side and beyond as well in the league because it was the definition of an, un, an unfair fight. Should that game have gone ahead? Should that game have been pulled? And if so, should the win have been just awarded to the Saints? The game should have been forfeited? What did he make of it? An extraordinary 72 hours. I think the NFL handled an extraordinary situation Personally, I think it was handled quite badly. Mm. Um, I look at other sports that I cover professionally and, and obviously primarily football. And football has had rules in place for months now um, in response to the, the coronavirus crisis, which are not um, especially sort of uh, protective for the teams. But they say um, UEFA's ruling is that you have to have at least 13 players, including a goalkeeper, available for a game. Otherwise, if you can't, feel that because of COVID, then at that point it's time to start um, postponing and, and rearranging. So again, it's not like you're sort of saying a team can't be pretty badly hit, but in the UEFA ruling, effectively the goalkeeper is like, well, there's one thing a team can't do without it's a goalkeeper. I think you could make a case that the quarterback in an NFL team is probably even more important than a goalkeeper in, in football, which is some going. Um, and, um, you know, this is a situation that has even played out in college football where they introduced um, some rules to, to, um, uh, to sort of uh, provide for the uh, abandonment, postponement, rearrangement of games if certain position groups were affected too hard because of a situation with long snappers, which is a far less important position than quarterbacks. <laughs> right. It felt like there was a certain degree of um, punishment yes. going on because the, because this was a result of, of a rules breach in effect because quarterbacks had met in a room where perhaps they hadn't got permission for and with some of them being too lax about their face masks and this was all after um, Jeff Driscoll and turned out to test positive. Yeah, that's it. So that's the chronology. So Driscoll goes down. The other three quarterbacks in the organization, the three on the main roster in the practice squad are on, are in a, in a meeting together. And Drew Locke, their de facto starter, came out just before the game actually started. He put this put this statement out on Twitter, which I won't read uh, it word for word, but some of the highlights from that, in a controlled and socially distanced area, we let our masking slip for a limited amount of time, an honest mistake, but one I will own. I sincerely apologize. Uh, so, he, so he stood in front of it and, and stepped up, which I respected. Uh, and, you know, it's very human of him. We were getting into this on the radio show last night. And I'm interested in your opinion on it, Nikki, because look, he, th- th- they made a mistake and uh, and he's stepped up and, and taken responsibility for it. But Drew Locke's a, a player in his early 20s, early mid-20s, right? And we forget how young 
so many of these players are and how easy it is to make, as he said, a mistake. And I appreciate the stakes are high, but this is a, a whole new world that, that we're dealing with, a whole new world that these guys are dealing with. And, and sometimes mistakes happen. It did seem to me, I'm with you, it did seem to me to look like some kind of point the NFL were trying to prove, but that's a very dangerous game to play, right? This is a, a brutal sport, much as we love it. It is, it is a brutal sport. Shouldn't the, the more sensible play from the NFL have been they broke the rules. I mean, the, the Saints have lost a seventh-round draft pick for, for this. The, there are other fines going on at the moment. When teams are shown to not abide by the rules it relates to COVID, there are repercussions. Why didn't they just pull the game and award the win to New Orleans? Yeah, I think, I think that would have been a better way to handle it. I think right. that um, a league that has talked a lot and focused a lot on player safety in recent um, years should have really thought about that because I think that Kendall Hinton, um, well, he took a pretty solid whack from Cameron Jordan, I think literally on his first um, play on the field. Yeah. Um, but I think that's, that's an easy way to get someone hurt, throwing them into an offense, saying them to play quarterback when they have not had even a day to come to terms with the playbook, with a position they haven't played since, well, early in college or in high school. Um, he was a star trek quarterback in high school and, and right. a very good one, by the way. And, and, you know, look, if we want to, um, uh, uh, sort of talk about the criticisms we throw at um, Mitchell Trubisky or anyone else. Here's a good reminder of how hard it is to be a successful quarterback in the NFL. Correct, all right, this correct. guy in in high school was an was an elite athlete. Yeah. In college, yeah, he didn't go to a, a top 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 program, but he still played quarterback for a while. He got um, switched to be a wide receiver. He got on an NFL roster. He's an elite athlete. Yeah. He's an elite athlete, and I mean, you look at the the throws and he just he's not an NFL quarterback he's not it's a great um, point just to, yeah, just to emphasize just how I mean uh, how much we <laughs> look how the, how difficult it is to play that position and yeah I, I was you know I think that the, the second I think it was the second interception to Janoris Jenkins in particular was a great example of you know what that ball is thrown a considerable distance and it it's on target it's actually mm. where the receiver is but it's thrown about I don't know half a second too slow for to work against an NFL defense. And so it gets picked off because an NFL defender is going to react to that and get in front of it. Mm. And it's like, if you asked Joe off the street to throw that pass, they wouldn't come close to it, right? If you asked most players in the NFL to throw that pass, they still wouldn't come close to it. He's a mm. good thrower of the football. It's just that's not good enough. You have to be something above and beyond to play quarterback in this league. I wonder what happens to Kendall Hinton. I'd like to, I'd like to know where that story ends, but he should get all the credit that, that is coming his way for, for as we say, stepping up and, and, and dealing with it. And, and, I mean, and the other thing is, it's on top of like the, what you were just talking about with the forfeit. Mm. Um, perhaps the NFL is looking at this and saying to itself, well, a forfeit costs us with our um, TV audience. It costs us with our yeah. um, TV partners. They're losing oh, no something. Product. They, they're guaranteed. But the thing is, the TV product was awful because this was a not competitive game. But watchable. There was a sort I mean, of degree of curiosity because exactly. of Kendall yeah. Hill Hinton. Yeah, yeah. But in the end, what is that? That's like, that's like a blood sport at that point. That's like, okay, here's mm. this kid who shouldn't be doing this, who could get hurt doing this because he doesn't know what he's doing. It's not going to be a balanced game. It's not going to be something that's um, compelling from a sporting perspective. So mm. I don't know. I, I think the NFL mishandled the situation even if the Broncos were responsible for mishandling it first 
so where do we where does this all go next because it seems that the nfl has managed to 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 weather COVID has certainly navigated season pretty successfully up until this weekend, right? Uh, or technically Thanksgiving, I guess, with the postponement of the Steelers-Ravens game twice. And that is now, as, as we said earlier, we're recording this Monday, meant to go ahead on Tuesday, but more, uh, more COVID issues on both sides there. We've had this ridiculous, it's a ridiculous situation that we're seeing a player like that having to start a game and, and the, the consequence of that and the blowout there there is a suggestion that there are going to be more issues again. What do we think will happen, Nikki? An extended regular season, an extended playoffs, the Super Bowl in March. What's your take on it as of, where are we, the end of, end of November, early December? It's still very unpredictable for me. I think the most sensible route, just from a sort of stepping back and trying to think about um, health as a sort of priority, I feel like Leaving aside all logistics, I understand logistics are really complicated when you start talking about some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, but but I would think that the best solution would be to build another week of um, leeway into the system now before the playoffs, and that way you have the scope to postpone games at least. Because I think that, um, again, I'm not a public health expert. I'm just looking at the, the numbers that, that anyone can look at. COVID cases are increasing in the States. They're increasing in large parts of the country, um, areas that affect NFL teams. It seems really unlikely to me that you're not going to have this becoming a bigger and bigger problem for at least some teams in the league. And I think you have to get ahead of that one way or the other. I think that I've just suggested one route, which is building an extra week of of, um, leeway into the system. There are other routes, like you say, you could expand the playoffs, um, you could um, pause the season early, you could um, simply make a decision that unplayed games do not get winners and losers, they are go down as mm. ties, or, or some other metric for deciding how the game gets resolved. None of those are going to make people happy. Mm. Um, I think the solution that makes the people, certainly it makes the viewing audience feel like they've had the fairest contest, which I think is really fundamental in sport, is to make sure the games get played and allow as much time as you need for that to happen, which will mean extending your season. Mm. I am again very aware of how complicated that can make things in terms of scheduling playoffs and Super Bowl, which are big logistical events. Um, I'm not saying these things are easy to work out, but I think if the NFL, I'm, I'm saying this, I'm certain the NFL are doing a lot of logistics. Um, disaster planning right now because it would be impossible not to you'd you'd be wildly naive not to be doing that at this point on the on the super bowl and and if they do need to reschedule it bill simmons and cousin sal made this point on on their pod on simmons's pod that it it's not like any other year it's not nearly as complex certainly and significant to to delay the super bowl it's not like there are going to be unless something unbelievably extraordinary happens Eighty thousand people at Raymond James, it's not going to be that kind of super. A lot of media aren't going. A lot of us who go year in year out, maybe not going to be going uh, for for all kinds of reasons. I'm pretty sure I'm not going. And this is the. the, I mean, I say pretty sure. I'm I'm really sure because, as you say, the logistics of getting there from from a different country are almost impossible. And for me, that's the first one I've missed since 2008. So it it is a thing that I normally am there for. Yeah. Um, But um, it's. You're right. There's going to be less to worry about. I think there's still more to worry about than you might imagine because even if there's no fans in the stadium, 
you're still talking about whole hotels need to be booked for teams, training facilities, and um, NFL officials, uh, security. There's still a lot of logistics that go into it. The upside again, though, is a lot of those hotels and spaces you need to book probably aren't under overwhelming demand at the moment. (laughs) Right, exactly. exactly. You make a great point as well about the the inconsistency, I think, uh, and and the decision-making process. So both the penalties that are applied when there are transgressions and, and look i guess i realize that's difficult for the nfl to navigate because they are feeling this for the first time as well but people are saying well the titans why do the titans get the same kind of punishment as the saints but that is going to to your point provoke frustration amongst teams amongst fans and the same principle if certain decisions are made about individual games the course of the season seedings all these kind of things playoff spots i should say not everybody's going to be happy with that but that's the, the very nature of playing a season in the yeah. with the COVID in the mix is that you don't know if you're going to be that team where your quarterback goes down tomorrow. You just don't know that this is this is part of it. That there shouldn't be too much frustration at how the NFL navigates it. Providing, and I think you make a great point that hey, the product is it's, it's a fair fight, and and certainly the Saints Broncos game wasn't, but also that it that it's sensibly safe. Court, that there's enough parameters and players are making their own decisions and officials are making their own decisions about whether they want to play with inside those parameters. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just to sort of highlight one thing that I, um, I mean, I've, I've taken this from Sports Illustrated that I was reading this morning. One thing that I understand is under consideration, um, bubbling teams in areas for the playoffs is certainly something that they're talking about doing. So there are, there are at least some of these things that are being planned ahead for, but it does feel to me like these last few weeks of the season are very fraught. Mm. Okay, let's uh, let's wrap up with the changes that have happened in the last week with teams because uh, we're starting to see teams, and you mentioned those those franchises earlier that are just not at the races and seem to have given up, don't have anything to play for. Well, the Jaguars and the Lions, two teams that, that are done. The Jaguars have been for a while, although battling valiantly once again, actually, last night. They, uh, they were um, with the Mike Glennon era uh, beginning and, and possibly ending at least, um, at least made it a fair fight, but Dave Caldwell, their GM gone. Uh, he's been there. Well, 86 uh, losses, 37 games to do the math there, but a fair chunk of time. And of course presided over a team, Nikki that got to the AFC championship in the now legendary. I talk about the Glennon era, the Blake Bortles era <laughs> and, uh, and what now legendary Blake Bortles era. I'm not sure I've heard it described in those terms. I, I feel you and I spent a lot of time talking about <laughs> Blake Bortles era over the years. We, we were working. I was, I was in the, I was probably with you, I assume in, I remember being at TalkSport on the, the night of the lost the Patriots. Yes. Yeah. We did. The, we did that game together. And we, yeah. I mean, that, that we were definitely talking a lot of bottles over that, <laughs> over that time. Yeah. Caldwell was there. Coughlin was there at the time as well. Of course, Tom Coughlin, the, the former Giants head coach who had so much success in, in New York and was expected to revolutionize this, this Jaguars franchise that is dear to a lot of our hearts in the UK, of course, but is flattered to deceive in terms of any real success. And, uh, and he left with, uh, out much to, to shout about, they uh, have now moved on from Dave Caldwell. And from what I can work out, looking at social media, looking at how Jags super fans are reacting, I think it's a universally popular decision, Nikki. Yeah, I mean, the team, again, um, it's been a pretty sharp slope from uh, AFC Championship game to being a team that can't win any games. And so 
I think it's natural that um, the person who's responsible for personnel uh, is likely to carry the can um, when that sort of sharp decline happens. I think Doug Marone probably isn't getting off with this either. I think he's just going to probably hang around until the end of the season. Yeah. Um, but uh, surprising this hasn't been done sooner. I think that's that's the kind of consensus, isn't it? That, that Marone in particular, I guess, but the head coaches are more prominent and more visible, so are in the firing line more. But I think that is maybe the frustration amongst Jags fans is how are we still here with, with, with these guys? They've been given a, a good enough chance. And I, I'm a big fan and understand the value and we see it time and time again. Those teams that typically keep the faith and are patient and don't make knee-jerk decisions, they, they reap the benefits of that. And You can't really criticize Chad Khan and the Jags' ownership here. They've given both Marone and Corbett plenty of time to get it right. Yeah, I think that seems to be Shad Khan's MO to me. He mm. seems to be not someone who wants to make snap um, rush decisions, rather. He doesn't want to be someone who's like constantly um, burning the house down to rebuild it. I think he tries to have faith in people and uh, has some belief perhaps in the idea that continuity is valuable in sport, which I think is an idea with plenty of merit. Um, I think a lot of these decisions that are getting made at the moment are extra fascinating. And, and actually, this was, again, uh, um, uh, just to confess that these are last couple of things have been um, thoughts put in my head by reading Albert Breer in, in Sports Illustrated. But he was writing um, this morning about um, the fact uh, or the fact that teams are talking right now about internally about the the idea that yes, this season has been very particular, and I think COVID has certainly impacts all of these decisions in all sports, the uh, um, hiring firing decisions. But the one thought that is very prominent in the minds of teams at the moment is that um, next season, you assume, you hope there's going to be fans back in the stands. And how are you going to, after a year in which fans have got quite used to not being in the stands, convince them that it's worth making that investment of time, of money, of everything else that goes into being a match-going fan, a, a mm. game-going fan, rather, something my... Um, uh, soccer language is football reporting. <laughs> yeah, you almost said to go football, soccer. Yeah, it's a Game really match. interesting, interesting yeah, point, isn't I, it? I, I, that's what I thought. It's a really fascinating thought that actually does transcend different sports, um, frankly, yeah. is that I think a lot of people who were just in a habit of going to games before have now lost that habit. And you have to make them convinced it's worth their while to go back. And if your team has been on a losing cycle and it's the same faces in charge, how inspired are you going to be to spend, certainly for season tickets, thousands of dollars yeah. to go do that again? It's a great point because the NFL in, in particular, you're right, I think a lot of sports are suffering the same challenge, are facing the same challenge pre-COVID, but the NFL in particular, it was, it was becoming, I think, increasingly a, a concern for... Certainly people I've spoken to in the game because of the, the nature of the TV product and developments of things like Red Zone. And, but I think just generationally, this is happening across, across the world, right? More and more people are watching sports from home and in the comfort of their own home. Uh, it's a really, really fascinating point. So that means um, the Jags, and I guess they're preempting as well, having what seems to be going to be a very high draft pick and that could mean Lawrence that could mean Fields we'll have to see how the last few weeks play out but uh, a good they, high uh, draft pick could be a, a thing that gets fans in stadiums yes yeah yeah right everyone, well, there you everyone go. loves a, a, a first round quarterback to cheer for don't they until until it all falls off a cliff <laughs> yeah, Trevor Lawrence comes in I think you're going to be selling a lot of season tickets the uh, the Lions making similar moves 
Uh, Matt Patricia, who never uh, was never comfortable there. Another Belichick lieutenant, of course, not working out as a head coach. And we all know the book on on that. Very few seem to be able to uh, replicate even close to the success they had while at, at Foxborough. And I guess therein lies the problem that a lot of them have learned and have been brought up in that way in their formative years as a in coaching as a coordinator or a positions coach and that's what they try and implement without everything else around Foxborough and Belichick right which is difficult without that winning mentality the success that is there it's it's not easy to to replicate Patricia it would never seem to be a happy marriage there and they were so abject on Thanksgiving that was that was the the final nail for him it does open up a question Nikki I want to throw at you about the the head coaching positions that we know are available now and a few that are likely to be available. So Anthony Lynn, who had a, another shocker in terms of game management and, uh, and the calls he made throwing uh, away uh, the charges uh, victory once again. And given how successful Justin Herbert has been early doors in his career, it makes it even harder, I think for them to, to stick with Lynn. So let's assume the charges are going to be on the table as well. You've got the lions, of course the Texans gig. I can't see how the Jets stay with Adam Gase and another weird press conference from Adam Gase. I mean, it was bizarre and I mean, it looks completely broken and the whole thing is just dysfunctional. I mean, I'm amazed he's still in a gig, quite frankly. So the Jets will be on the table as well. Uh, am I missing any? Are there any other? Any oh, other? gosh. Oh, the Falcons, think. of course. The Falcons. Yeah. So out of those, so Atlanta, Detroit, Jacksonville, we think will be open. The Chargers. Uh, which which looks like the most appealing landing spot for you? If you were oh. Robert Saller or, or a hotshot <laughs> college coach that wants a, a gig in the NFL, what do you think? Oh, the Chargers, definitely. Mm. Um, Justin Herbert. I think the Chargers actually got a really pretty talented roster and, and they're one of those teams that sometimes when I look at their record, it surprises me because I think, hang on, if they've played some, some okay games along the way. They haven't been uniformly awful. Um, I mean, having said that, you know, you're asking it for me, not for some uh, actual coach. I don't know. Jacksonville could be a nice place to go and live for a little while. You want exactly, uh, climbing, <laughs> Maybe not right now, actually, with, with COVID spread. But yeah, Jacksonville looking, could be pleasant. You can look at the five-year plan, or maybe you get a ten-year deal like Gruden. And you can look at it that way. So Ve- yeah. I'd definitely be looking at Vegas, but I don't think that gig's coming up. The um, <laughs> making a point actually about the the charges, and let's just go back to to Anthony Lynn and, and end on that, and some of the play calls that he was making, because this is the thing I think that drives fans do lally right so towards the end of that game as the clock was winding down calling a run play in particular right so this is clock management 101 right when you are trying to preserve as much time as you can do not call a running play in that situation it's exactly what what he did and this is the thing that and he's understandably and, and and predictably been vilified for that even you know the comms let alone everybody on social media blowing up about it but Nikki, you look at that and, and, and it is hard to justify. You, you understand we all make, we all make mistakes, but we all, you know, there are, there are kind of blips and, and things that you, like Brady a few weeks back, right? When he just <laughs> forgot which down it was. I think that was overstated because just in the moment you can understand that, that, that mistake happening. But when you are consciously calling a play to that degree, you, he must have been aware of the, the shortcomings of that call. Yeah, it's, it's a... A fascinating question, isn't it? How exactly um, uh, the coaching staff functions? Like, if if there is someone whose job it is specifically to be reminding um, 
reminding him in that moment, hey, like this is the down distance. Head coaches have a lot to think about. I think there should be no doubting that. And these decisions, I, I appreciate that watching on TV sometimes it can feel like the um, time between plays is a lot. I think it isn't when you're mm. down there on an NFL sideline and, and you've got and to the game's on the line, that. Right? And yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, most successful, not most successful, all successful NFL coaches manage it. So if you're not managing it, whether it's just your fault or your fault as head coach for not having the right people there, making mm. sure you know the situation is still on you in the end. Uh, it's sad because we, we love him from hard knocks. He's one of those players. It often is the way, right? See certain head coaches on, on hard knocks that we all, we all fall in love with and think they're, they're great, but <laughs> so it makes it even harder when you say, I think their time has come, but I think Anthony Lynn's time has come with the Chargers. That seems to be the consensus opinion. So they're going to be some interesting head coaching decisions for, for teams to make uh, in the off season. And some like Detroit getting, getting ahead of it when you can understand or ahead of the game, you can understand why, why they're doing that. And, and I guess that is counterintuitive to a lot of NFL fans because that isn't often the way, right? You ride, you dance with the one that brung you, as they say, for, for most of the season, for, for the whole season. And then, make the changes on, on Black Monday. But that seems to be changing up. More and more teams now seem to be putting the trigger during the season. I wonder if that is a trend that is going to continue. Uh, Nikki, we're out of time. It's great, always great to catch up. I'm glad I could, we could reminisce on not just Miami, but also the Blake Bortles era. <laughs> Blake I'm glad Bortles we got time. Uh, Blake Bortles the was era, one of the Denver, The era, as he described it. One of the Denver quarterbacks uh, who couldn't play on, <laughs> could it be Blake's moment for the comeback, but he could yeah, play against me. We didn't even touch on the most sort of, um, well, I don't know if it's the most crazy because there's a lot of crazy elements in, in that story. Um, Denver initially, before turning to Kendall Hinton, actually did sort of inquire about having one of their assistant coaches whose name right. temporarily escapes me. Um, one of their assistant coaches uh, who had played, well, like seven or eight years ago. Yeah, played he's like 28, 29, isn't he? Yeah. Because um, uh, Stefan and, and played because at least he knew the playbook. Right. Um, which is, I mean, what a situation. Uh, what an absolutely crazy situation. The NFL didn't allow that because there are, in fact, some rules in place to stop um, coaches easily transitioning to become players because in a more normal era, um, they didn't want teams secretly hiding um, you know, players who hadn't quite made their roster on the um, coaching staff as assistants. As assistants, interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they could do exactly that. So there are rules in place to stop that from happening. Otherwise, we would have had an assistant coach stepping in at quarterback this weekend. Oh, that would have been a, that would have been an amazing story. Uh, maybe splitting downs with uh, with Kendall Hinton would have been. Uh, I mean, that would have just underlined the movie. They could, they've got to make a movie of this. Sure, <laughs> surely Hinton. Hinton. I'm sure that story won't won't end here. Nikki, great to catch up with you. Uh, always an absolute pleasure. If our listeners want to follow you on social media, check out your other work as well. Where should they head? Just Nikki Bandini, all one word. It's Nikki with a C-K-Y uh, on Twitter. Lovely stuff. Good to see you. Come and see you soon. Anytime. Lovely stuff from Nikki. Uh, she'll be back very, very soon. We'll be back with Will Gav uh, on Friday's show, our preview show, and producer Ollie and I back with the Edra show Saturday. So set your podcatches for those. At the NC Show, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Shouts going out to Tom, to Marley, to Andy for all their work on our social channels. Lots of extra content, bonus content, video from the show as well. We push that out across those. So if you haven't already, go give us a follow. And big shout out to all of you uh, who are leaving Really nice reviews for us. Appreciate that. 
on all the different podcatchers out there. Massively appreciate it. I know producer Ollie particularly enjoys uh, reading reviews that reference him. So uh, <laughs> make sure you drop one or two references uh, about Ollie. Tell him that set you. <laughs> I think that's how it works, right? We appreciate it though for taking time to do that. So thanks for that. Thanks for getting involved uh, with us on social as well at the NC Show, as I say. We're back with Will Gab Friday. We'll see you then. Bye for now. Podcast Network.